TE Talks with Guides is a weekly podcast for lovers of history, travel, and all things Italian. Welcome back, everybody, to TE Talks, sponsored by Through Eternity Tours. I'm your host, Rob Allen, and on TE Talks, we get to talk with some of the most fascinating people who make a living out of being wonderful storytellers. And just to add on a note, if you enjoyed this podcast and our others, please remember to write a review and give us a rating. It is extremely helpful to get the word out and let other people know about who we are and what we do. And it is incredible free content for people. I don't think many people uh, realize that. Anyway, and also remember that if you have any questions for me or for the guide who is joining me today talking everything Padova, Serena, ciao Serena, uh, we also would like for you to ask us questions. You can write an email to us, office at througheternity.com about anything about the city of Padova, visiting it, what's the best time of year, how to get there. We're happy to help out. So again, let me introduce my guest today, Serena. Ciao, Serena. Ciao. Hello, everyone. Fine, thank you. What about you, Rob? Um, I'm doing very, very well, and I'm very, very happy to have you on our podcast. Um, Today, everybody, we are going to be talking about the wonderful city of Padova. Um, I'm very excited to talk about this city because like for many of you, maybe you've never been to the city. And this summer, I went to Padova for the first time. Uh, And Serena has been very kind enough to give us her time to talk about the city as well. She is, uh, well, Serena, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? You are from Padova, correct? Yes, I was born and raised in Padua, so uh, that's my hometown. I really love it. And as all Paduans, I'm very proud of my city. Um, And uh, yes, even though I just spent a few years away from it for my study, uh, Mm. then uh, my love for the city drew me back there and uh, here I am. Now I'm so glad and so lucky to be able to guide people through this wonderful city that always uh, uh, amazes people. People never realize uh, how many things you can see and appreciate in this city because, you know, we are just uh, 30, 40 kilometers away from Venice and Venice is the capital city of Veneto region, and maybe everyone uh, speaks about, um, I don't know, Palladio and Vicenza, Verona and the Arena, with the mm-hmm. opera, and Padua somehow has always been kind of neglected, mm-hmm. mm, even though it has so many jewels that you yes. um, you also um, filmed in your wonderful video. I saw a video you took while you were in Padua, and I think you really were wonderful in guessing the atmosphere and the main monuments and the symbols of the cities. There's mm-hmm. so much we can tell you about that, and mm-hmm. I'm sure you will want to come and visit by yourselves. Yeah, let me just say to everybody, uh, I I did fall very much in love with the city. For me, it's very exciting because I do love to travel uh, when I get to see a new place. And, um, you know, when we talk about and tourism will get back to normal. But, you know, when you talk about tourism, sometimes some of the other famous uh, areas of Italy get overrun with people. 
And I almost felt like you have this kind of authentic experience because you do see the uh, the Padovans, as you said, living there, the Italians living in this this wonderful city. And uh, I'm I'm quite happy to say that what is part of this city can easily be compared and up on the level to these other greats like Florence and Venice. I mean, it absolutely is. And so that's the wonderful thing. It's like almost a hidden gem um, walking around through it. And it is a thriving city. Uh, It seems to be a very wealthy city. It seems to be also very clean and orderly and safe and just uh, beautiful. I always say, unfortunately, Rome is a little rough around the edges, you know, with the garbage (laughs) and the graffiti. You don't see that in Padova. You you just, you absolutely don't. In the park, uh, you know, when we started our video, there's that beautiful park with all those famous historical figures, the statues, there's this kind of moat around the park. So you have to cross the moat and get to the central river. And uh, that's where we started it. But I want to get down to the nitty gritty, because of course, and I, I did make a faux pas, everybody. I called uh, the uh, Basilica of San Antonio the Duomo when it is not the Duomo of um, of Padua by any means. Mm-hmm. But it is absolutely one of the most spectacular churches in Italy. And that is no easy feat. Uh, truly is. Uh, it just seemed to have... Uh, so many different uh, styles in it to me and so many pieces, gems. Uh, So can you tell us a little bit about the Basilica of San Antonio? Yes, of course. Um, So this is one of the symbols of the city, um, Mm -hmm. together with the Prato della Valle, you mentioned the big square, uh, which is the second largest in Europe, by the way. It's Mm -hmm. so fascinating. When you come to visit the city, it is wonderful, huge square with 78 statues, you cross and then through a narrow street, it leads you right to the opening of the view to the Basilica of St. Anthony, which is one of the most important monuments uh, in terms of um, works of art. Because as you said, it's a mixture of different styles, different artists, very famous artists. But there's a reason for that, because this is also the heart of our Uh, religion of our tradition and folklore. That's the basilica where St. Anthony was buried. And though St. Anthony was not originally from Padua, because he's called St. Anthony of Padua, but he was born in Lisbon. And Uh, we struggle a lot with the Portuguese about that. But really, he is the saint, the worldwide saint. If you think about it, every single church in every place around the world has either an altar dedicated to him or a picture of him. It's amazing. Everywhere I've been in the world, I've always found an image or a reference to St. Anthony from pa- of Padua, not from. And why is that? Because he was such a miracle maker, such a great man. In his life, he traveled a lot. We were lucky, so to speak, enough to have his body here. He died very young and ill. And so he was in the last part of his life, very, very young, when he died in 1231. And he was buried in this little church of the Franciscan Friars, Mm -hmm. which compared to the one you will see now, you say, how is that possible? Humble order, um, a very simple order of Franciscan. How is it possible that you have this huge 
place with so many monuments, Donatello's, uh, uh, Titian, uh, Sansovino, uh, many artists from the, four, from the 13th century to nowadays. We have enough works of art of the 21st century nowadays. Why is that? Because every single century wanted to dedicate, pay his, uh, their homage to this saint. We have such a great connection. Even if you're not religious, there's such a great connection to this saint. Before the COVID pandemic, three million people came to visit every year to pay homage. And they can't be all religious people, Christians who want to come to ask for miracles. So you will see the tomb. When you go in and the left transept, you will see there is the altar dedicated to his uh, tomb where he's buried. And people go by and touch the tomb because they want this special connection to him. But at the same time, if you don't feel like being there for the spirituality, you can enjoy the wonderful nine high relief in marble. And among them, the Sansovino one with the three women assisting to the miracles of the drowned girl. And that's amazing. That's amazing. All the atmosphere inside there. Mm-hmm. And then you have Donatello's high altar with the bronze statues by Donatello. That was the beginning of the Renaissance in Italy, in North Italy, actually. Mm-hmm. That's how Renaissance uh, came to Padua. We were yeah. a Gothic um, uh-huh. city. We had a lot of uh, wonderful uh, cycles we will talk about later on. Mm-hmm. Um, but then... Um, 1443, 44, Donatello came for 10 years. And together with those wonderful bronze statues, he also left a masterpiece outside, yes. the statue by, of Gatta Melata, the, mm-hmm. the soldier, the mercenary. Realism and at the same time, humanism. That's incredible. This old, fierce, proud man, true to life. Uh, And the first equestrian statue of this kind worldwide, which inspired then all others and was, of course, inspired by Rome, uh, Marco Aurelio, of course. Marcus Aurelius, of course. Um, I I agree with you when you're saying about the statues of San Antonio, you know, I mean, you do see them. And I think we even have a little shot of it inside the, the Basilica because there's this kind of cult with him People love to write messages, these letters of thanks to him. It's kind of like your um, grazie ricevute, you know, the yeah. grace received or whatnot. Isn't he supposed to be the patron saint of lost objects? Like if you've lost something, you find it, you pray to St. Anthony and he'll help you out. Yeah, um, there's so much, there are so many traditions because it's so spread. It's, uh, it's worship, it, his worship. Uh, it's so spread all over the world. We have this uh, northern tradition of the lost causes. So you pray St. Anthony. There is a specific prayer. If you lose something, you find it back. And that gets back to the fact that he was helping people find their faith back. Mm-hmm. So people mm-hmm. who lost their faith uh, during the heretic time, when there were a lot of uh, heresies and things that mm-hmm. went away from the real uh, Christianity. He helped people find time themselves back or family get back together. And that's one of uh, the very famous um, miracles he did. But on the other side, the 
Spanish Portuguese Southern America tradition is the marriage saint. You probably mm. never heard, but in no. uh, Lisbon on the 13th of uh, June, when he died, um, mm. there is a special day where the city of Lisbon dedicates uh, money and sponsors a young poor couple that uh, get their marriages paid by the municipality in honor mm. and uh, in homage of St. Anthony. And in mm. Brazil, there is another interesting tradition where you ask for St. Anthony when you are a single woman, you ask for St. Anthony to find uh, your partner. Uh-huh. And if he doesn't listen to you, what do you do? You take um, a little statue, possibly you can buy it in Padua, you put him head down mm-hmm. and you leave him like that with his head uh, and, and upside, down. upside down until uh-huh. he finds you a good husband. And believe me, uh, one of the colleagues from Brazil who visited the city told me it works. So, <laughs> ladies, if you if you're looking for a, a partner, you can come to Padua, and he will sure make they will make sure you find one and a good that's, one. <laughs> uh, it's so funny. My mother uh, is from an Irish Catholic uh, ah. family, and uh, not with Saint Anthony, but I remember her telling me specifically that her mother was worried that her oldest sister would never get married, so they went to Quebec. And there's a staircase like the Scala Santa, the holy staircase oh. in Rome. And they climbed up the staircase and it worked because their oldest sister did get married and had six children and is now 93 years old. So she's still alive uh, and, and well. <laughs> wow. See? <laughs> yeah, but you have this uh, wonderful belief. And, and I, I, I adore these concepts of the, this stuff uh, with people. And you see this um, as, as an act of faith. I think it's uh, very, very lovely to see. I have always because I, I, you know, I give tours to the Vatican museums. And when you exit, we always um, would leave the Sistine Chapel to go to St. Peter's. But sometimes that exit is, is closed. So you have to go out this regular longer path and there's a series of many different things that are on display sometimes gifts that have been presented to the pope and one of them is this glorious model of the basilica of san antonio and i have never i've lived in rome for almost 25 years now and you know i had never been but i've always been curious about it because as you say, it is a mixture also of these many different styles because it has the influence of, of Venice and, and Byzantine, right? Because of the multiple domes, like the, the Basilica of St. Mark's in Venice. But then, exactly. and, and you say that it's a great way to uh, observe the transition from Gothic into the Renaissance because you do seem to see these Gothic elements in the back and in the apse of the church, uh, but they have this, these bright, brilliant colors. And then the sculpture, the level of, of the Renaissance sculpture that you see in there is just um, amazing. We couldn't get so close up to the high altar with Donatello's yeah. uh, uh, work around the altar, but you can just say it's stunning. And then the statue on the outside. Now, can I ask you, because I didn't observe and I couldn't tell, is that the original statue still outside or is it yeah. a copy? Oh, yeah, it's yeah. the original it's still statue. The orig- yeah, yeah, it's the original statue. So if you can could close up or maybe... Mm-hmm look through the lenses you can see really all the details uh, the frowning on uh, his forehead and all the little details on the horse uh, mm. and on the soldier on Gattamelata it's incredible uh-huh. and then don't forget we also have the Baroque Baroque is not a big big time in in, yes. in Padua in the north of Italy but then you have the relics chapel 
yeah. uh, with the wonderful that. work by um, Filippo Parodi. That's incredibly elegant, theatrical. That's mm-hmm. really something that hits the eyes. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, for uh, more spiritual people, you can find the three most important relics of the saint there. I don't mm-hmm. know if you know, but we still have the tongue, the preserved tongue of the saint, which was wow. the greatest miracle of all, because right the 32 years after his death, they opened the tomb for the first time. You know, we are in the medieval time. You needed the relics. It was very mm-hmm. important to have something from him. And what you would expect is hair, maybe, or bones. Mm-hmm. But at that time, his tongue was still preserved. Wow. No damage any damage at all was there and it was left like there like that for many many years and that was the sign for people that because you use your tongue to speak his words was true so that that's why it was considered a great miracle and Mm -hmm. then somehow around 60 50 years ago it damaged a lot so what you see now you really need to make sure you you have a look it's very dry a little dry thing and again people interpreted it as his message because after the second world war kind of his tongue dried up it has always been Mm -hmm. red and living and it dried up because after so much evil people were able to do at that time he kind of didn't have anything more to say to the people Uh, but it's still there and you can see his tongue they're very damaged and the vocal cord the vocal apparatus which is also amazing from a physical point of view and it's not preserved in particular atmosphere or formal date or things of the kind it's just there in the atmosphere in a relics work of art wonderful work um, by Florentine goldsmith. It's incredibly beautiful. And uh, again, this is uh, one of the highlights for uh, the spiritual visits. Uh, but even interesting for people who don't believe, because again, it's scientifically incredible to have uh, it there. So there's so much really you can see. And then the fresco painting, of course. Do we want to come to the important uh, fresco painting cycles of the city of Padua? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, uh, but before we get into that, yeah. I did want to cover a couple of other things. So the, there are also, uh, I think, at least three amazing courtyards. One has yes. a, a magnificent uh, magnolia tree uh, that are uh, that are starting to go through. And that, as you point out, and what's really lovely was that, that Baroque chapel, because Often I find that Baroque dominates or will take over a place, but there's this amalgamation of all these different styles that seem to work very, very well within the the uh, I see keep on, the basilica. I want to call it the Duomo because it's such a <laughs> magnificent, you know, dominating yeah. piece, but it is not the Duomo of, of Padua. Um, yes, now now I did want to talk about this because because of the wealth of the, even the economy today. But Padua, can you talk a little bit about just about the history of it so that we can understand these amazing cycles? Yeah. Uh, what did what was the history of Padova. We know that Verona was an ancient uh, Roman city. You know, how, when was Padova founded? You know, we, I imagine that for a few centuries it was dominated by the Venetians, and you can see signs of that. But you know, what is its history? What is the economy of it that it had this wealth? Because these cycles, I mean, this is a, a wealthy city throughout the centuries. Because one cannot just uh, you know commission these things without having vast amount of sums to hire artists 
to come to Padua to do these these pieces. So can you tell me a little mm. bit about that? I'm glad you mentioned that because you'll be very much surprised. Padua is much older than Venice. Uh-huh. And it was born more or less the same time as Verona. But at uh-huh. the time of the Romans, it was probably more important or as important than Verona. Wow. What uh, makes us apart from Verona, unfortunately, is that uh, our Roman remains uh, are not visible any longer. Mm-hmm. Um, we the city was so the city was built before Roman time. We have an old tradition, and I think you filmed it in your uh, walk walking tour when you mm-hmm. took the. The images of the city at the tomb of Antenore. Uh, Antenore's tomb um, is still present and it's the sign of it's the traditional old founder of the city. According to the legend, Padua was founded by a Trojan prince, Antenore, okay. a good okay. friend of Enea. So we have okay. a connection. So they felt Virgil and even Homer mentioned is a uh, Antenore prince. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, at the Roman time, they felt the need to highlight the connection between Padua and Rome uh, as being a sister city, so to speak. Um, And Antanore, according to the legend, of course, left uh, Troy and then came uh, on the coast of the Adriatic Sea. We had two seas in this area. So that was a strategical place, wonderful for settling down. And it was around the 12th century, of course, before actually the city and the remains you can find in the um, Civic Museum of Padua, where also the Scorvegni Chapel is. So when you visit the chapel, you can also visit the museum with the same ticket. Mm-hmm. You will see remains dates back 9th to 8th century before death, uh, before, sorry, um, right. before uh, Christ. And um, the city developed a lot from a trade point of view because of its very strategical position connection to the north uh, and the east and central Europe and then um, west and uh, central Italy. So it was kind of uh, a crossroad uh, and a place for um, salt uh, or precious uh, material coming from the north uh, um, and uh, also connection with other peoples uh, in Italy. Um, And then it uh, gained a lot of importance uh, during the Roman time. Mm -hmm. And you probably didn't realize because it's not visible, but Prato della Valle, the big square with the statues underneath Mm -hmm. it has uh, the remains of a Roman theater of the first century after death. Mm -hmm. And it had 6,000 seats. So you can Mm -hmm. imagine how big a city it was. If yes. we had 6,000 feet seats, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately, all these rem- all these monuments were either destroyed during the barbarian um, times uh, around the 4th, 7th century, and if not destroyed, used to build the other monuments uh, later on. So the Basilica of St. Justina, for example, which is right um, on the side of... Um, the Prato della Valle was probably built with the uh, stones and rocks of marbles and pieces of the theater itself. And even in the city center, if you 
have to do any works uh, every time they um, when they had for example to dig for the tram the new tram line we have in the city four mm-hmm. meters underneath you always find something from the roman time sure that's like rome <laughs> yeah but unfortunately there's mm-hmm. not much visible in the air so outside mm-hmm. so everybody thinks that verona was a much bigger city more important than padua but padua was same importance as verona sure. probably but more important than milan at that time sure in the roman time so it has developed but what happened after the barbarian time total disaster Mm-hmm. Probably some of the Padrons who left went to the lagoon and the little islands to found Venice. So right. it's not Venice uh, that found the Padua <laughs> the other way around, if I may say so. But my colleagues in Venice will kill me for that, I'm sure of it. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so um, when uh, things settled down a little bit, because of the strategic position, religion came back, the bishop came back and all around the area of the city centers uh, the cathedral again that's the central area the noble families uh, the area of the market with the uh, um, palazzo della ragione and the market square started growing again padua became richer and richer independent free municipality with its own government its own statute everything uh, um to protect and foster trade mm-hmm. and it became very rich and that's how and we had the second uh, university in Italy 1222 mm-hmm. the University of Padua was founded we are now celebrating its 1800th anniversary this mm-hmm. is the year to visit Padua ladies and gentlemen because Padua was picked up and listed in the world heritage um of UNESCO Padua yes. uh, University 800 years of age that's really mm. the, the, the moment to be in Padua but anyway so we had uh, not only trade we also had culture and that's how great artists great uh, minds of the time came here we had mm. Francesco Petrarca the Petrarch ah, the great okay. poet to visit and he lived and died in in in, the, in an area near Padua because of his connection to the lords of Padua we had uh, Giotto being invited by the Scrovegni family who was already the most famous recognized as the most famous painters of his time 1303 yes. Giusto de Menabuai and other great painters following Giotto's steps again great works by him Dante was also in the town because of the university because of this great uh, um and openness of the city and uh, of course wealth because trade was very important the city thrived until 1405 when we dedicated the city to venice we acknowledged their power they were stronger they were wealthier And by the time uh, the Cararesi family, the lords of Padua, had uh, mm-hmm. to give up and uh, the city became a Venetian city. Yeah. Still very important. We still have the Donatello's work um, in the Basilica, Tizian then uh, in the Basilica again, cycles, um, important cycles anyway. But really, the medieval time, that moment between the 
12th, 13th century and the 15th century before 1405, before uh, we became more Venetian, you, you really have so many works and you really feel, yeah. I call it the paduanity, la paduanita uh-huh. of the okay. city in the okay. central area of uh, the market squares. That's that's wonderful, yeah. Because then you do get this sense of of this unique uh, medieval architecture. Uh, thank you for that overview. That's wonderful. So um, that gives us an idea. And then you were saying that uh, so just recently, Padova has been made into the UNESCO site, right? It's been right, just the city itself. It's not any specific. Place. No, yeah. uh, to uh, to be more precise, it's not the city, but the, the fresco cycles of the 14th century. So it has wow. been acknowledged as the urbs picta, the painted wow. city, because of the so many fresco cycles. Of course, Giotto was the first one, 1303, uh-huh. 1305, and the Scrivegni Chapel, a masterpiece, a wonderful work of art, the most complete, because unfortunately his work in Assisi went mostly lost because of the earthquake, while Padua, in Padua they are well-preserved. Yes. And there is a wonderful way of accessing it and enjoying them with reservation mm-hmm. system, and yeah. it's very well-preserved. And you really must go to see that because it's mm-hmm. Gothic humanism, really. There's sure. such great use of color and Mm. uh, feelings and realism already that's amazing and you can see it from the uh, the pictures you you filmed uh, in your video yes that's right that's actually very important to point out because um we and and remember everybody when you want to go see this you make sure you have to reserve ahead of time because even we have very set days of where we were going it looks like we're all doing in the same day but we're not we couldn't get a (laughs) reservation so when we then we did padova for a day that we did verona and then we went to venice and on our way back from venice we were able to reserve a spot we had to do it days ahead of time but it's very very well preserved they only allow a limited amount of people to come in. It is com- it's sealed uh, airtight to to protect, but they allow you to video inside. So it was it was uh, wonderful. Um, you know, we captured one of the most famous scenes, which is the the kiss of Judas, right? That Judas uh, kisses uh, Christ to denote um, who he is to be arrested by the Roman soldiers in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, yes, as you say, it's gothic. Uh, humanism. It's at, at this point that we start to see emotions being put into uh, paintings, going into this movement of realism. People may think of uh, one thing. I always try to emphasize because we have a beautiful uh, Giotto triptych in in the Pinacoteca in the Vatican Museums, uh, the Stefaneschi triptych. But uh, you know, it's like Michelangelo, Raphael, all of these wonderful, famous uh, superstars of the Renaissance could not get to where they were without this uh, artist. You know. And that's great, too, because in the city of Padova, uh, you, you get to go to there. Um, but, you know, that is the start. And as you said, we have right even next to uh, San Antonio, these other cycles, fresco cycles right next to it that are of the similar time period. And then later on in the Renaissance, there's this scuola, you know. So could you tell me a little bit about those two since we were right at the church? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh Integral part of this Urbs Picta nomination, you can find the fresco painting by um, Gualtiero Padovano and um, 
Guariento, uh, both in inside the Basilica of St. Anthony, because in the right transept, uh, right across where St. Anthony is buried, there is another chapel uh, with the frescoes by... Um, Mm, I'm sorry, ah, I can't think of the name now. Um, yes, by yes, it's Guariento and um, oh, I don't remember his name. I'm sorry, Jacopo don't worry, it'll come back. One. Come back. It will come later. Sorry, and yeah. this same artist also decorated the oratory, St. George's Oratory, just on the square of mm-hmm. the Basilica of St. Anthony, which is very much uh, like. Um, Scorveni Chapel. So after yeah. Scorveni Chapel, uh, all the noble families wanted something similar because it was also a sign of wealth and power to show off. And in a very similar way, you can find the stories of the patron saints of the family, uh, uh-huh. Lupi di Soragna, represented there. And again, mm-hmm. here it's not only Giotto style, the realism, um, architectonical backgrounds, uh, making the background of these real life stories. So where people could read, so to speak, the stories of the saints, because we should never forget that we're talking about medieval time. People, most people couldn't read or write. So art was like comics. So it was for them like reading the book. So through this pictures, they were able to absorb faith, to absorb Mm -hmm. beliefs, to to know the teachings of the religion. So that was uh, both didactic art, but Mm -hmm. also celebration, because in that particular case, especially in the Oratory of St. George at the Basilica, the family wanted it to be the chapel, the family chapel, the burial family chapel. So... Mm -hmm. You can see there represented faces and people of the time. Mm. You can see the the portraits of uh, the members of the families themselves. You can mm. find portraits of people of the time, mm. Petrarca, for example, who was very connected with the court and the lords of Padua at that time, or Lombardo della Seta, his secretary. So it's uh, again a celebration of the city of the time, of the wealth of the family, of that moment of great flourishing for the city, but also for us, a celebration of art, a celebration of colors. It's so magnificent. You have these blue colors that are Mm. wonderful and it's really amazing. And then later on, um, a staircase above, there is this coletta with the, um, the works by Titians. Uh, who was very young, but uh, we had the privilege and uh, we were lucky enough for the the friars, the Franciscan friars to call him and do this, commissioned him uh, these works representing some of the miracles of St. Anthony. The old uh, um, paintings uh, are dedicated to St. Anthony, of course, in this respect. It it was a celebration of uh, the saint. It was the Mm -hmm. scoletta, the place where um, the the friars and the noble people who managed the bread of St. Anthony, so the help to people, who were mm-hmm. poor uh, and uh, needed help. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a very old tradition. And the, the people who managed the basilica and still manages uh, mm-hmm. the basilica, the Arca del Santo is still in charge 
of managing the basilica, keeping it open, promoting it to the people. So at that time, they decorated it uh, in honor of the saint. Uh, so it represents his life and in particular his most famous miracles. And it's incredible how Titian could uh, represent with color mm-hmm. this moment of uh, acknowledgement, of mm-hmm. realization on how big Saint Anthony was uh, and how much he did, for example, in the miracle of the um, wife. Uh, that was killed by the jealous husband. He thought mm-hmm. he, he she had cheated on him, but then he regretted it and he realized he did something wrong. So he went to St. Anthony and St. Anthony resurrected his wife because he saw the repentance. And that's one of the many miracles. Of course, this is <laughs> stories, yeah. but you can Not read. really good for these times. You can imagine if she came <laughs> back alive, she could have killed him or yeah. smacked him in the face. It's like, oh, no, thank you. Bring yeah. me back. But it's amazing how he uses color rather than uh, architecture for the perspective. Uh That's very Venetian. Uh, That's a very Venetian thing, uh, the use of color. Um, Yes, amazing with the colors. Uh, I just want to clarify for people. I mean, a lot of you, I'm sure, who are listening do know about artwork. But for those of you who don't, Titian or Tiziano, as he's called, is considered one of the greatest, if not the greatest, Venetian painter and he was of course alive during the other he's like one of the superstars of the renaissance like da vinci or michelangelo Raphael. he's considered one of the greatest high renaissance artists so it's a big deal of gatitian hanging around coming through and his young work because he lived for a very very long time like michelangelo he died i think he was in his 80s so there's an enormous amount of work that belongs to him anyway but i remember one thing and we do have a shot of it probably because it picked out to dylan who was uh, filming along with me and do, does all the editing on the on the videos of uh, a baby being boiled, like uh, like chopped up and in a cauldron being boiled in, in water, which is just like, you yeah. know. No, it's not, uh, it, it was not meant to be boiled. What happened according to the miracle and the story, uh, mm-hmm. the mother uh, wanted absolutely to listen to St. Anthony. He was a great preacher. Again, we, we um, talked about his tongue and his uh, way of speaking and how forward, he could yeah. move people and uh, um, help them find the right way. So um, it, it seems that this mother left the baby unguarded for, uh, for some time to go and listen to the preacher, uh, the preaching mm-hmm. of Saint Anthony, and the baby fell into oh the hot water and died. So Saint Anthony again uh, knew about that and went to rescue and uh, save the baby, and um, he brought him back to. Wow, he brought it back a few story. people back to life. Wow. Yeah. They say so, yeah. So there are many, many, many miracles of this um, kind, uh, showing how Saint Anthony really cared about people, their lives, mm-hmm. uh, their faith. Uh, uh, he tried to convince people to go back on the right path, uh, sure. um, and he helped people repent, find uh, somehow their true selves. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, we don't know how many of these miracles are true and how many are not. Mm-hmm. But for sure, all the X photos you see around the tomb and in the museum dedicated to the devotion of St. Anthony and uh, mm-hmm. one of the courtyards of uh, the monastery, um, they are all acknowledged miracles. 
Mm. So these miracles that were represented by the different artists in the Scoletta in the 16th century uh, mm. represent the most common, traditional, popular, so to speak, miracles everybody spoke of at that time, but they're not necessarily all recognized. But all other miracles uh, that um, are told um, or uh, recounted in these ex-votos, you can mm. see, they were all uh, recognized by, by, yes, by the Pope, by the, the commission. There, mm -hmm. there are commissions. And he is the only, I, I'm aware of, so I might be wrong, but I think he is the only person in the world who was proclaimed saint just one year after his death. You know how oh, long wow. it takes to be proclaimed a saint, burst of oh, last, and that. And he was the only one. So great was his fame as a miracle maker, as a preacher, mm -hmm. as a man, that it only took him one year to be proclaimed saint. Interesting. Now, to get on to a little bit about, because, it, and, we, and we will talk about the Duomo and the baptistry. I want to finish up with that. But let's just talk also about the city itself. It has these lovely portico areas that reminded me of Bologna, because I guess the oh, weather yeah. can be uh, very uh, rainy. But I mean, it's just wonderful to walk through them where you go through. There's also lovely uh, streets with apartments. I remember I captured this beautiful apartment that was a bit run down, but the, the, they had these just magnificent flowers hanging from the windows and this kind of great life of the city. You and I had already previously talked about this. There is this great culture of food, the food markets, but also about these lovely small businesses, you know, so many cities, and I live in, in I'm living in between Rome and London. Uh, London, is especially, it seems to me, uh, and even in Oxford and Cam Cambridge that I both visited, uh, it's filled with chains. You know, it's like you find the same Pret-a-Manger, all these like all these similar um, chains of coffee places in London, you know, and but in and in Italy in generally, there are a lot less of this, but exceptional in pa Padua, you don't really see any chain restaurants. You don't really see these massive chain stores. You see a lot of beautiful, I saw some great men's clothing stores. I was on a budget, so I couldn't go really shopping, but I certainly looked through the windows and I saw a haberdashery shop. I saw, um, I guess, can you tell us a little bit about that, the food culture, and then that wonderful, unique coffee that is served in a famous bar in uh, Padua. That has yeah. A so honestly, being a Paduan of birth uh, and having witnessed the evolution of the city, I must say that 10 years ago, it was even more authentic and more local. So we do have chains nowadays uh, mm -hmm. for food and for um, um, even for clothing oh, okay. and things of the kind. But um, it is true. Authenticity is something that really sets Padua apart from many other art cities, very famous. Because, for example, in the city centre, you have this market square where every day except Sunday, because still on Sunday we are free, mm -hmm. uh, thank God, differently from uh, department stores and things of the kind. So every day from Monday to Saturday, we have a fresh fruit and vegetable market outside on the two uh, sides of the Palazzo della Ragione, the very big uh, old justice palace, medieval justice palace that's in the center. And underneath 
the justice palace. Right as in the past, in the medieval time, it was built uh, 1218 and then restructured as it is now between 1309 and uh, later on uh, the 15th century. But basically it was uh, built around the 13th century. And the first floor was and has always been the covered market. Mm. It's really similar to these Arab sukkahs, uh, you can call it, these Arabic, these Arab markets. And all the little shops there are very typical. You can find cheese, meat, uh, uh, fish, uh, everyday produce. People eat on their tables every day. So the Padrons go shopping every day fresh fruit and vegetable outside and everything else uh, can be found inside. And so if you go through these little shops uh, along uh, uh, the two galleries uh, uh, on the earth, um, on the ground floor of uh, Palazzo della Ragione, you can really feel everyday life. You can really go shopping where the Padrons go shopping. You can have uh, prosciutto di Montagnana, our uh, Parma... um, um, Parma ham and uh, um, the Padron yeah. version, or mm-hmm. the typical cheeses we we have the sausages, and then you have these little uh, open air bars where you can have your uh, spritz or your uh, prosecco glass or whatever you prefer, or uh, one of the glasses from the Uganian Hills nearby, and uh, your ch- kind of chiquito. We also have this tradition of. Uh, the aperitive time. So you can have uh, the mortadella or a porchetta sandwich, mm. the very big tramezzini. Have you seen them? They are no, so no, thick. They, oh, wow. They're so thick. There's everything in it. And mm-hmm. um, you can have uh, your tramezzino or your little uh, bun with. Um, I don't know. I say porchetta because that's my favorite, but you can have everything in it, really. Cheese uh-huh. or other cold cuts. And then you drink your uh, Prosecco or your Spritz, according to what's your uh, liking. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. sitting there and see life goes through because uh, every day from the morning till uh, the evening, uh, you have uh, something going on. Sure. Uh, the market in the morning and then the students going around in the afternoon or people going shopping um so it's changing probably the pandemic has changed a little bit even habits but from what i get the padrons really like leaving their cities the way it is and the way they always done and i hope it will keep on being like that because what's peculiar about this city and what really makes it a great city so interesting and such a nice place to live in is that, mm-hmm. is the fact that the Padrons are one thing with their city and the city center. And mm-hmm. they're very <clears throat> proud and in love with their city, I must say. Well, they should certainly be. Um, can you tell us about, because I was, we were very intrigued by it. We had heard about it. I think most people do when they come to Padova, the mint coffee. That's oh, your- of course. Then, of course, after your shopping and your walking, because there's a much to work in Padova, even though mm-hmm. it's a, you, you might think it's a small medieval town where everything is there. 
walking from St. Anthony's Basilica or the Prato della Valle area to the city center is a walk. It's uh, around a kilometer. So after you have your nice walk through the city, the medieval uh, little narrow streets uh, of the city, you can enjoy a little break at the Café Pedrocchi, the historical cafe. Every city has its historical cafe. We have Pedrocchi, 1831, associated with the story of liberation of the town, because in that cafe, the first students and Paduans fought for their freedom against the Austrian in 1848. Okay. And it's, um, it's a cafe that Pedrocchi built for the city with different rooms, uh, on the ground floor dedicated to the different categories of the citizens. You have the mm-hmm. red room in the middle, the, the yellow room that is now the room where you can have uh, the Café Pedrocchi at the counter mm-hmm. without paying any extra price. You just pay more if you sit down, but if you get your coffee at the counter, you pay as much as everywhere else. Make mm-hmm. sure you try the specialty. That's Café Pedrocchi as the name of the owner. And Café Pedrocchi is a very special, old and secret recipe by Antonio Pedrocchi himself that mixes a very good quality of coffee, Arabic Mm. um, um, blending. And uh, on it, you will find a mint cream with a little bit of cacao on on it, sprayed Mm. on it. And the combination of hot coffee and cool mint coffee mm-hmm. must not be must not have any sugar in it because there is already something in the mint preparation mm-hmm. which is cool so it's this mixture of bitter and sweet mm-hmm. cold hot and cold uh, mm-hmm. all at once in your mouth it's the size of a cappuccino basically yeah. it's, really it's good. amazing it's something yeah. It's quite refreshing. Yeah. It's quite refreshing. It's quite, quite refreshing. It's a, it's a lovely thing. I think one could probably drink it all uh, year long. It was, it was, uh, yeah. it was quite uh, interesting. Uh, it was beautiful to look at because of the, the beautiful mint colored green that was mixed in with the coffee. I mean, yeah. I've never had mint coffee and it's fortunately not copied anywhere else. So you, if you want yeah. to try your mint coffee, you, you have to go to Padua to get it. Well, to exactly. round things up, Serena, because we've covered a lot um, yeah. of stuff is that the, the Duomo, the actual Duomo is very beautiful beautiful in a different way because of the famous painting fresco cycles all over the city this is a, a the duomo's the facade is fairly simple and inside it is almost a, a beautiful clean white um stucco stucco that's all everywhere it's it's very simple if i'm not mistaken yeah. if i remember correctly it's uh it seems almost a bit uh a kind of controlled baroque and then right next to it is this amazing baptistry that again has phenomenal frescoes within it. Can you just tell me a little bit about these places? So um, our cathedral uh, is not very, has not very lucky story, uh, or rather it's the cathedral. Um, Mm. We had a wonderful uh, Romanesque of the Roman, um, the Roman Romanesque time, the 12th, Mm -hmm. 13th century uh, building. Mm -hmm. 
which had to be re renovated and restructured because after building St. Anthony's Basilica, everybody wanted to go there and thought that was the most important church. So around the 14th, 15th century, they asked for a new project, a Renaissance project, a very big one. There's also the name of Michelangelo among the architects who presented a project to rebuild the cathedral. And mm -hmm. uh, it was probably also inspired somehow by a project uh, he presented but there's no there's no documentation about that and so they started building it but somehow the money was not enough so uh, the architectural structure is there is wonderful but it's incomplete the facade mm -hmm. was never finished because there was no money and even inside they started um decorating it but of course uh, that was the time when Padua was not independent anymore was mm -hmm. uh, not so wealthy anymore and so somehow um, the decoration is not so precious and so incredible as what you see in the Basilica of St. Anthony though there are interesting works of art uh, um, witnesses to the importance of the church itself uh, um, burial sites of important bishops of the town and this wonderful uh, high altar that's a work of art a modern work of art of the 20th yes. century that's also very interesting because we always overlook the modern art we like medieval time we like uh, uh, the fresco painting of the 14th century but of course uh, then art uh, develops but what's really amazing of the area as you mentioned is the baptistry with the fresco painting by Giusto de Menabuoi. Giusto de Menabuoi, again, not a Paduan as Giotto, but living and working in Padua. He was um, called uh, by the Lords of Padua at that time because the baptistry was meant to be the chapel, the family chapel, the burial family chapel of the family Cararesi, who were the lords of Padua. And that had to show the magnificent, magnificence, the wealth, the importance of the lords. And if you see the colors, that blue, the lazuli blue is amazing. And uh, again, he, there you can see a representation of the court of the time with uh, members of the family represented there, important people of the time represented there, just like in the oratory of St. George, you can find uh, the portrait again of um, Petrarch, Petrarca, Francesco Petrarca, his secretary, um, Francesco Petrarca, the Lord of Padua, who commissioned uh, this work. And Giusto de Menabuoi, that's incredible, left there the most complete cycle of the history of Christian religion, starting from the Ancient Testament, the Old Testament, in the ceiling, with the 37 uh, episodes of the Old Testament, right to the Apocalypse. So yes. it's not just a cycle about the life of Jesus or the life of Mary or the everything. life of the patron saints. You can see everything. The old story from the old times, the uh, Old Testament, to the newest and the most modern, what's maybe awaiting us in the apocalypse, represented there. Wow. On the so four the walls. The yes, really. That makes it so great not only from the artistic point of view, but also from the meaning 
Mm. And that's so elegant and so precious. Um, it then was transformed into a baptistry again, because when the Venetian came, of course, the Lords of Padua had no saying. Uh, they were completely cancelled, erased from history. Uh-huh. Their palazzo was completely restructured or destroyed. and But at least uh, the paintings were preserved. So it lost its original function as a burial chapel. Mm-hmm. So you can see there is an arch where there was uh, the sarcophag of Fina Buzzaccarini, the wife. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But it was uh, can- taken away, cancelled with a 15 very bad painting. You will see some. Uh-huh. Uh, when you go inside, you will see the wonderful paintings and then a little part uh, on a wall that's completely different and um, mm-hmm. it seems strange. That's because there was... Uh, the sarcophagus and it was uh, substituted later on during the Venetian time. But still, yeah. that's part of the fresco cycles of the orbs picta, and uh, uh, for a good. I was always, you know, I was always wondering about it why it was so uh, sumptuously decorated because mostly when you have a baptistry, the classical thing is to yeah. depict the story of John the Baptist or, uh, you know, and the, the cycle of, of Christ, not the entire whole shebang uh and that that's an interesting point i will look out for the videos yeah. to see where the sar- sarcophagus was removed and to yeah. see that different style now uh you know thank you again so much serena but um i do want to mention one thing because the first time when we spoke about this you mentioned because padua has this wonderful uh university and we got to check out yeah. the beautiful uh, botanical gardens there you mentioned the first woman to ever graduate university can we just uh tell, yeah. tell us a little bit about this person. Yeah. So there's a uh, material to prepare another two boss podcasts if you want. But sure. yes, we make we must make sure to mention Elena Lucrezia Cornaro Piscopia. Mm-hmm. Um, she was the first woman in the world to graduate at the university, 1678. An amazing story. I don't want to tell all the story here, to, sure. not to spoil uh, your visit in Padua. When you come to Padua, I will. Um, you can see her um, statue in a courtyard, in the old courtyard of the university, just uh-huh. right on the steps of the staircase. You can see her. Um, uh-huh. And she's buried in the, the Basilica of St. Justina, where she died uh, because mm-hmm. she did dedicated her life to study. And it's amazing because at that time, women, women of course, couldn't uh, attend uh, lessons. So she had to study by herself uh, with private teachers uh, paid by her father, who was a very rich man, a Cornaro, a noble rich man. And she wanted so much to make her dissertation. And at that time, it was the bishop allowing students to make dissertations. She needed a special permission. So you have to think how much this woman must have insisted to have the possibility to dissert her thesis in philosophy. That was the only topic she was allowed to discuss. She was much more uh, educated in uh, canonic law and other type of uh, law. And uh, she finally got her graduation, 1678. Incredible. So many different things. That's uh, that's amazing. I I will look this story up to learn more. Because, of course, I I will come to see you and meet you in person. 
uh, Padova has so much uh, to offer. And I yeah. mean, one could just spend days at the Basilica of San Antonio, among other things, and uh, going through the markets. Uh, thank you so much, Serena. It really was a, a true pleasure to be able to talk with you all about this. It's a true gift. Uh, and I very, very much appreciate this. And of course, everybody uh, that you're hearing this, if you do have any questions uh, about what we discussed today, we can talk about also how to get reservations for the Scrivini Chapel, uh, office at througheternity.com. And thanks again to Through Eternity Tours. You can follow us on Facebook, uh, Instagram, TikTok even, and many other different social media platforms. So please join in and look us up when you travel to Italy. Thanks very much, Serena. Ciao Thank for now. Thank you. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity. I'll wait for ciao, you ciao. in Padua. Bye. Bye-bye. Ciao. ciao. Thank you for listening to our TE Talks with Guides. We have a new episode every Wednesday. Please subscribe to get an alert when each podcast comes out. Rate us and tell people how you enjoyed it and share it on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Most importantly, if you enjoyed it, send us a feedback about the show. Also, if you are curious about what some of these people and places we talked about look like, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and watch the video on this podcast where we have inserted special images for you to further enjoy the story. 